Threads of Faith, deeply personal tales of family, faith, and resilience. Authentic, uplifting, and inspirational. We continue as Edward dives deeper into family dynamics and overcoming obstacles with hope. Family is the the soil that God plants us in so that we can grow. Um, and, And, you know, Tolstoy said famously that, you know, all happy families are happy in the same way, but unhappy families are different in their own way. And, you know, I think that's a little bit of a binary choice because I think all families have functionality and dysfunctionality built into them. That's sort of how we get the challenges in, in life that, that make us stronger and deepen our faith. And we inherited so much from our family. And, and two of the things from my family that I inherited, or at least have affected me deeply, are um, alcoholism and addiction and Alzheimer's. And, you know, both have touched my life in profound ways. Um, but first, it was, it was, it was addiction and, and, and alcoholism. It takes such a deep toll that it, you know, you're, you're almost to the terminal stages before you realize it. And that, that's how it was with me. I, um, you know, I had, uh, I guess I had my first, you know, drink when I was 13 years old. And it was from a bottle of old granddad that one of my schoolmates had purloined from his father's liquor cabinet. And it was ironic, though I didn't realize, I didn't recognize the irony until decades later, that it was my grandfather who was the alcoholic on on my father's side of the family. My father was basically a teetotaler, and I, I learned later why. But so that bottle of old granddad, that really was almost like... That, that, that legacy, that heritage was being passed down to me physically. And when I lifted that bottle to my lips, and we were outside in an apple orchard, and it was a full moon, and I lifted that bottle up to the sky, and I felt that liquid come down, that burning, nasty liquid come down into my, into my stomach and into my system, and it felt like a burst of light had, had exploded inside of me. Something I had never experienced, an enlightenment a transcendent moment and I thought I want to feel this way all the time and for the next 20 years that's exactly what I tried to do Edward was spiraling downward but he didn't even know it which looking back might have been scarier than actually knowing it you know I pursued that feeling and that that one trans transitory moment in my life that one you know, transcendent moment, and you never recapture it. I think any addict or alcoholic will tell you that you spend the rest of your life, unless you get sober, spend the rest of your life trying to recapture that first moment. It's such, it's like, it's it's the original sin of addiction, you know? It's that moment where you think this is the best thing that ever happened to you. You don't know it's the worst thing that ever happened to you. And, you know, for me, though, you know, it was my path to faith. I mean, I grew up in a home that was very faithful. I mean, we went to church every Sunday. I was an altar boy. For a while, I wanted to be a priest because I thought it would make my mother happy because she was so, she was such a faith-filled, prayer-oriented person. You know, but as I, you know, began to experiment with alcohol and with drugs and with everything that goes with it, I drifted further and further away from my faith. And I, you know, I got through life because I could do things well, like I could get good grades, and and that gave me permission to drink and to drug, and I could go to college and get a scholarship to to graduate school. 
all of that was meant to cover up the fact that what was really going on to my, in my life was I was escaping through alcohol. I was escaping my feelings. I was escaping my past. I was escaping God. I thought, you know, you think you can, God like can't see you. It's like, okay, like you don't see me, right, God? And I was trying to hide from all of that. And I mean, to make a long story short, you know, I hit bottom after I left graduate school. I moved to New York, really New Jersey, and right across the river. I used to sit, you know, up in the, you know, the Palisades of New Jersey and looking over Manhattan, wanting to go there because I was ambitious. And it was like, it was kind of, I felt like the devil revealing Jerusalem to Christ from the mountaintop. It was like that was being revealed to me, like this jewel box. And I just couldn't get there because the addiction had so broken me down that I was basically homeless or close to it, though I always had a home to go to. So I hate to say that I was homeless, but I certainly was bouncing on and off the streets. I was literally bumming money off of people to keep drinking, picking up cigarette butts off the street to smoke. And I, I didn't want to go to AA. Um, because I didn't want to deal with the spirituality. I called, <laughs> I called up AA one time and I said, can you send me to, direct me to a meeting where they don't talk about God? <laughs> and the person said, just a minute, put me on hold, and never came back. <laughs> Foreshadowing, maybe? God speaking in the silence? But Edward did not yet understand that God can speak to him in those moments of space. So he recklessly persisted. I didn't not believe in God. I, I just didn't think God, if he existed, had any interest in me. And I certainly didn't have a lot of interest in him either. So it was sort of a stand-up. We had like a, we'd had, you know, we were separated and, and nothing was going to change that. You know, and then we talked a little bit about families and how, you know, alcoholism was the sort of toxic heirloom in my family that was passed down to me unknowingly at the time. I didn't know that alcoholism was in my family because we didn't talk about it. You know, so um, I, you know, I finally, you know, what happened is that I was left with no choice but to call my family and ask for help. And I did. And I got into rehabs and I was in and out of rehabs for a while. And I was not really, you know, it wasn't making it work. And, and we had a, a friend of mine who said, Eddie, if you don't get God in your life, you're not going to get sober. And that scared me. You know, and I didn't want to be scared of God, but suddenly I was scared for the first time in many years of being without God, that that frightened me. The thought that I was alone in the universe with this addiction and this self-destruction that I was inflicting on myself and thinking for a moment that I had to do it without God in the universe, that I was alone, and that changed me. And I finally got myself, I, I was driven into a, an AA meeting by, by an old friend. It was a terrible rainy day in New York. And um, she just, you know, her husband was in the program and she wanted me to go to a meeting and she just pushed me down the street until she got me into a meeting. It was in New York City. It was called Perry Street. And the minute I got, you know, I started to recoil a little bit because I saw the slogans on the wall, like, let go and let God, or, you know, being willing to turn your life and your will over to God. Those are tremendously difficult things for an alcoholic or an addict to agree to. It's like, no, you know, alcohol controls my life. Therefore, alcohol must be God, not God, but alcohol. So to give that all up, to let it go and turn it over is an incredibly 
difficult but transformative experience. And, you know, what I found in those rooms, the very first moment I stepped in, was a spirit, you know, of collective faith, of collective spirituality. Much like I would find in guideposts many years later, telling the stories from all of those people who have overcome all different problems, not necessarily alcoholism, but all problems that they tried to solve without God, and then realized the only way to solve them was with God. And I started out very slow, baby steps, you know, like, God might, my higher power might exist, so I'm going to pretend. And someone told me, you know, if, you know, act as if you have faith, and you will have faith. And I acted as if for a long time, you know, I acted as if I believed in prayer, and then I would pray. I didn't know who I was praying to all the time. I had um, what what is called in a 12-step pro- program a sponsor. I had two of them, um, Craig and Richard, and they were amazing. They lifted me up every time I fell, which was frequently. You know, not so much in falling back into drinking, falling back into doubt and obsession with things other than my sobriety and my higher power. And... You know, they, you know, they were very honest with me, you know. I'd say, oh, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. And one of them would say, no, 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 you want to drink. That's all you really want to do. And unless you get down on your knees and, and pray not to, you will. You know, I had to, one of them told me, he, had a, he, had a, he said, you know, when you go to bed at night, shove your shoes under the bed. So in the morning, the first thing you have to do is get down on your knees and get those shoes. And while you're down there, you might as well say a prayer. And that worked for me. These, you know, things that I thought were just stupid little things, you know, worked for me because they constantly focused myself on a power greater than myself. You know, in all my life, that had been alcohol and drugs. That was greater than me. And I found a loving power that was greater than me and didn't want me to go down that destructive road and, and simply ruin my life. And I was very close to ruining my life. All my friends had given up on me. All my relationships had failed. Only my family was there. And even they were, they didn't know what to think. They weren't going to turn their back on me, but they didn't know what they could do for me. Edward's family, although they didn't know exactly how to help, helped because they stayed by his side in the hard times. Then, God did what God does and brought Edward up out of self-destruction. God then used him to bring others up as well. Well, that, that is what ultimately what changed me, because the 12th step of AA says you have to carry the message to other suffering alcoholics. That's how you stay sober. You carry that message of hope and a belief in a God who loves you and cares about you and wants you to get better. You have to carry that message to other sufferers or it won't work for you. You know, it's, you know, they say it's a selfish program, you know, and I think that's a little harsh, but it is certainly the most important thing to you is to stay sober. And the most important thing to staying sober is a trust in God and passing that trust on and going to another sufferer and says, this is what works for me. It should work for you, too. Light finally had come to Edward's life. Weakness during tough moments had been transformed into strength. We get stronger through our our crippledness. We get stronger. Our wounds 
heal and make us stronger. And I, you know, I, I believe that deep in my heart. And I believe that I was meant to go through those decades of drinking and drugging and misery and failure and fear and disappointment in myself and disappointment in what the world was doing to me, what I thought the world was doing to me, to get to that point. I couldn't have found God without that, without that journey. Not that everybody has to go through that journey, because I would hate to see anyone experience what I experienced. But we all have our diff a different path to God, and that was mine. And for that, I'm grateful. You know, I'm grateful for whatever has gotten me to this place and has gotten me to guideposts because I never could have dreamed that that's what I would be doing, right. you know. But, and yet, I think that's where I was led. I don't want to be some, feel too egotistical about how God is, you know, pulling the levers of my life, but I think that path was laid out for me. I didn't know it. I could not have imagined it. And that's the sort of the miracle of life, the, the good things that happen to you that you cannot possibly have imagined would happen to you. And that's happened to me. And so, Edward's journey of discovering himself, discovering his faith in God, and discovering how he can help others has reached a place of reward. As Edward is set to share how these discoveries were then, and are now, carried out through Family Dynamics, you may find yourself in these upcoming stories, too. Until then, keep weaving your own beautiful bonds of love and threads of faith. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.